1: Back into the Lions Twenty Four Seven Podcast, where we roll into November with another episode right here. He is Sean Fitz. I am Tyler Donahue. Producer Lance Glenn behind the scenes. As always, we are into the third, the final third of this Penn State football season for the regular season. Five and three coming out of the first eight matchups. And, of course, a third consecutive loss on Saturday night. We covered that on the post-game podcast. Ohio State actually falling a spot after that matchup, going to number six in the top 25 AP poll. They were jumped by Michigan State who came back to beat Michigan in a battle of unbeatens on Saturday afternoon. So Michigan state now actually leading the conference at number five in those rankings, they will be the final team that Penn state faces in the regular season. And Sean, we mentioned this at the very end of the post game podcast, would Penn state still be evaluated as a top 25 program? And you made a great point. They were evaluated as a top 25 program coming off of that Illinois performance. Wouldn't you leave them in there? And, and ultimately, they only fell two spots, number 22 in the country. They are the only three-loss team uh, in those top 25 rankings, and that's not going to make everyone feel nice and warm and fuzzy right now, but I, I think it gives you a little bit of credence on how Penn State is viewed coming out of this eight-game schedule.
0: Well, yeah, I'm more surprised last week that they were still in the top twenty-five than they're still in the top twenty-five this week. Um, so that that makes sense. I mean, you play Ohio State tough. Ohio State brings with it that brand and that uh you know that that reputation. So anytime you can play them close or fairly close, you're you're gonna get some credit for it. So I'm not a, not a hundred percent surprised that they're still in it, but you're still at five and three. So I mean that's kind of the 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 main point we're talking about here, but uh, heading into November, hoping to shake that you got Maryland this week, of course, made a point last week that Maryland, you know, put it to Penn state pretty good last year. And that was an embarrassing thing for not only the players, the entire program embarrassed by that. And you got to think that, uh, you know, you, you kind of hope you can turn the corner and not take them as lightly um, as you did. I mean, that's two seasons in a row now that, that, that you've lost a game that, essentially you shouldn't have and that's kind of where where Penn State finds itself right now can they rebound can they get where they need to go um, as they travel to College Park this weekend 3 30 kickoff uh, for that game still awaiting the, the game time for a Michigan uh, for Michigan in a couple of weeks probably gonna be a six-day window but we will see um, in probably about 20 minutes whether that happens or not so um, if it doesn't, the last 30 seconds of my my rambling has been irrelevant. So I apologize for that. Um, Penn State uh, looking to turn a corner, get where they need to go. Obviously, Sean Clifford in the uh, in the crosshairs here. This episode, we're not going to talk as much about Ohio State. We're not going to talk as much about Maryland, kind of in that final third of the season, as Tyler said. So you got some storylines popping up for the Nittany Lions.
1: We will get to that maryland matchup of course we'll have a guest on to help us break that down we're also going to talk uh, about recruiting as the week goes on that's obviously ongoing we're now under the two-month mark before the national signing day for the 2022 class and the 2023 cycle gaining momentum for these nittany lions but yeah maryland uh by the way five and three i don't know how closely all of our listeners have followed the terps this year but that five and three looks a little bit different than penn state's five and three uh, they are one win away as maryland from becoming bowl eligible for the first time since 2016 but Prior to the thirty-eight to thirty-five win they got against Indiana on Saturday, collectively outscored by Iowa, Ohio State, and Minnesota, one hundred and fifty-one to forty-seven. So October was a bit of a house of horrors down in College Park as well, Sean.
0: Yeah, they were talking, and I know I talked to some people while I was reaching out about Franklin stuff, talking about how Mike Loxley was on the hot, hot seat, and I know there's different standards there for for Penn State and Maryland, but uh, he. I don't want to say saved his job with that Indiana win over the weekend but he went a, a long way in securing, you know, an, at least another year out of that because it's been kind of the same thing over and over again for Maryland. You think they're on the cusp, they get some recruiting wins and get going and then they go out there and you know, you mentioned 5 and 3, but the expectations were actually pretty high with uh with Tunga Loa coming back at quarterback and you've got some pieces in place, but uh yeah, there were actually some talk about Mike Loxley being on the hot seat. And it uh, seems seems like that's calmed a little bit this week.
1: Last time Penn State made the trip down to Maryland, it was a Friday night matchup. They had the blackout down there in College Park, and it was fresh off of their first appearance in the AP Top 25 poll for Maryland in a long time. And quickly, Penn State calmed that situation down, 59 and nothing. And that was the night Sean Clifford made his first start as a Big Ten uh, conference quarterback, had some non-conference uh experience going into that matchup but that night threw for almost 400 yards ran for another 50 i think he had five total touchdowns and he was the big 10 offensive player of the week all those starts later he is at the crux of the conversation once again as you enter the final third because as we saw uh, against illinois and against ohio state very different version of sean clifford he was not going out there churning up 30 yards as a runner uh, moving the first down chains as a runner but He was creator again, and that was a big thing for Penn State. That's why they were so competitive in this matchup. Took some chances. Uh, Certainly the the deep shot to Jahan Dotson with pressure in his face is a throw he'd like to have back. Um, Had the fumble that was recovered, returned for a touchdown. We know that turnovers have been a big part of the story when Penn State has struggled under Sean Clifford, but let's not sugarcoat it. Without Sean Clifford looking like that creator again, it gets ugly in a hurry in Columbus like we thought it might. So that is why I think Penn State enters November, maybe with a little bit of steam behind them. They've got a couple big matchups, Michigan State, Michigan. Both of those teams are going to be ranked when they play Penn State. And, of course, Maryland took it to this team last year in Beaver Stadium. So there is a lot ahead of this squad. It's not the college football playoff buzz. It's not the Big Ten title game buzz, unfortunately, anymore. And That is the reality. But there's a lot to be gained in the final third of this campaign for Penn State and for James Franklin.
0: It's so funny and not haha funny, but more irony funny. We talked about how Sean Clifford's uh, progress would dictate the success of Penn State. And you said that in a way that you were kind of expecting him to be the same quarterback that he was last year with the turnovers and the the poor play and things like that. And, um, you know, you expected if Penn State was going to fall flat on its face it's because Clifford was was that guy. And it's been kind of the exact opposite. They've been, you know, that that that's a team that should probably be seven and one if he's healthy. If he doesn't take that shot at Iowa, so I mean, it's it's so crazy to think about just how much this has been flipped on its head. Um, and as you mentioned, from a from a game by game standpoint, Sean Clifford couldn't run against Ohio state, but he could move. And that's a step in the right direction. It shows you how much different, uh, Penn state's offense and Penn state's entire team, um, is, was, it was able to function. We mentioned the 11 of 18 on, on third downs. That's not necessarily him picking up eight yards on a third and six on a scramble or something like that. It's just, he could move around. And, and when he could move around, he could find, uh, those guys in the middle of the field. And, and just basically when, when you had, um, Excuse me, when you had Clifford sitting back there in the Illinois game, you're playing with half the field. And that's, um, you know, that's obviously easier for a defense to uh, to try and figure out. But they managed to uh, to spread it around again. Parker Washington, Jahan Dots and Theo Johnson got involved. Uh, Keandre Lambert Smith, who continues to be, I think, a pleasant surprise this year um, as a guy that was maybe a little bit of an afterthought coming into the season. So you've got that Back for you, and it gives you some sort of confidence heading into the last third of the schedule. Although you do have Michigan and Michigan State, two very good football teams, waiting for you in in the last month.
1: And we'll see what those teams look like. That and and Michigan State right now has everything in front of them. Some big matchups for Penn State that's going to have a lot of eyes on these matchups and. Look, a lot of people, when they have focused in on Penn State this year of late, have seen uh, this team have offensive issues, quarterback issues. Uh, people who tuned in for that Iowa matchup, the Illinois matchup, their perception has really changed on Penn State. And I look at the, the next four games here as uh, you know. Look, you can you can't recapture um, what you lost in terms of getting back in the mix to to go compete for for titles, but you can recapture some of that narrative that was. Penn State has bounced back from 2020. Uh, Sean Clifford is the catalyst for that immersion. Mike Yurcich is clearly the right guy to work with the quarterback, and that's going to resonate across the, re- the recruiting trail, and that will continue to happen. And all these things are still at your fingertips, whereas, again, if you go out and you have the 2018 Michigan performance at Ohio State, which they avoided, and I think a lot of people are probably – if you said, is it going to be hanging in the balance with, with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, or is it going to be a that kind of a game where Penn State's out of it early and they continue to get buried – Many, 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 many of us would have stepped over to that side that Penn State was going to be on the bottom of an avalanche. They avoided it. Sean Clifford created. Now you look to get him involved as a runner. Um, You don't want to get him hurt. That's the thing here. That's why this conversation right now feels so fragile because Sean Clifford's health feels fragile. He took four sacks. Um, If they continue to let pressure get on him without supplying some kind of a consistent run support, I don't know how realistic it is that we're having the conversation that Clifford's on the mend anymore through this month because they are going to face some legitimate defensive fronts. Sean's going to get hit, um, and without him on the field, we see where it leads. So that trap door is still squarely underneath the feet of this coaching staff, um, and quite frankly, the entire program because we know what it looks like when number 14 is not available or when number 14 is not uh, able to be uh, what he needs to be for this offense
0: yeah he's the keystone no doubt about it and we'll, we'll see where that goes in the next couple of weeks um Maryland, of course uh you know that 5 and 3 record is is very nice but the the meat of their schedule as you know a lot of these big 10 east teams uh the meat of their schedule still revolve you know is is yet to be played out cuz they've got penn state this week and then i think uh they've got michigan state and michigan i don't know if i flip flop the uh um, the, the dates on those, but they've still got Michigan and Michigan State on the schedule as well. It seems like everybody still has Michigan right. and Michigan State on the schedule, so that's kind of a weird way that that came together. I was thinking about that the other day. Just uh, you're, you're kind of where you catch these teams is very important because Auburn now is what six and two, uh, Number 12 in the country, miss. yeah. And uh, Wisconsin, you caught them early. I mean, you just think about it, there, there, there's these teams that. Like Ohio State, like Michigan, Michigan State, you don't want to face the end. So I'm thinking they maybe may move to a nine game schedule in September next year, and you can catch everybody at the right time. So we'll we'll see if that gets any traction. I doubt it will, um, but I think I think that if you look at what Penn State has to do over the next couple of weeks, obviously staying healthy is is a big thing, but keeping Clifford upright. I don't want to say approach this like the Illinois game because that is a way to get your butt kicked as we saw in the Illinois game, but uh, be cautious for, for another week or two and continue to get him healthy. And, and and you showed against Ohio state that you can move him around. You can do some normal things with him and, and kind of keep him out of harm's way.
1: Yep. And, and who's charged with keeping him out of harm's way is the offensive line. And you know, surprise, surprise. You, you talk about Sean Clifford. You talk about anything with this offense. You've got to attach the, the, Offensive line to this equation, and, and how they have factored in, um, and how they have underwhelmed this year. And Sean, you got four games here. You're Phil Trout line. You're year number two. Let's face it, year number one the practice time wasn't there. It's hard to really figure out what that year was for him and in his developmental process with that personnel. But here at the end of year two, there's going to be a lot to look back on through eight games, but he's going to have 12 games by then. I'm very curious to see if he starts to work in some of these younger guys at some point in some roles If we see any kind of personnel movement. As we mentioned on the post-game podcast, Mike Miranda remains the starting center for for Penn state right now. Juice Krug is, remains the right guard. Um, We have also seen Eric Wilson early in the season, take some snaps, but Bryce Efner has been involved. The two names though, that, that James Franklin mentioned at the tail end of last week, Sean, during uh, his uh, radio show was Landon Tengwall, Olu Fashano. I don't know if those guys can come in and really stabilize anything, but maybe learn on the job. There's a lot that you're looking at here. It's not just trying to gain some distance from what has been a rough year for this offensive line. It's about finding that bridge towards something better because until that does get better, this is the story of Penn State under Franklin, it feels like. Until that gets better, there's a lot impeding your progress and your path as an offensive unit and as a program here looking to be in that top tier upper echelon in the Big Ten and across Power 5 football.
0: Yeah, I, I, no denying what you're saying whatsoever. I mean, that's that's got to be where you try and turn the corner and get to where you're going through November to, to set the table for next year. Is, is Phil Troutwine going to be around next year? I don't know. I mean, the, this offensive line had expectations. Um, this offensive line coach had expectations, handpicked by James Franklin, um, but it, it just hasn't come together for whatever reason. I think it's going to be interesting to see if you maybe see Fashanu out there. Tengwall, to me, um, I, I know – you know he he came in and with, there were high hopes about him seeing the field early, not really starting, but seeing the field early. The fact that he didn't get the in there against uh, Villanova or, or any of those games that really weren't close of uh, Ball State as well um, that tells me they're they're not ready to throw him in there and that's uh so if you're looking for somebody to stabilize this unit as you said I don't think it's Tangwall but I think you can give Fashanu a shot I think he's by far um ahead of that uh that that redshirt freshman class looks like Fashanu and Nick Dawkins the ones that are rotating through with that one right now but Dawkins seems to be buried uh behind a couple of of interior guys as well so Fashanu if you can get him out there, get him some snaps and and see what you can get out of him, I think he can hold up. And I think that experience is something that could pay off for a while. I think he's going to be a multi-year starter for Penn State. It's just a matter of getting him out there and getting him over the hump. Um, Does that mean swinging him over to the right side? I know Cade Wallace has been banged up pretty pretty extensively in the last couple of weeks. Efner was in there for him. Um, so to me... If I'm looking for a guy to step up and maybe crack into that rotation, and surprisingly, Des Holmes has not been that guy, um, Fashano would be, would be the guy for me.
1: Yeah, and uh, I was actually you know, curious that, that Landon Tengwall was the other name brought up there by James Franklin because we did not see him earlier in the year. Clearly, he has a bunch of football that you can still utilize him for. You can play him every game here in November and still maintain that red shirt status. But yeah, I'm with you. If, if He's not going to stabilize things, but... I don't know, Uh, something needs to, you got to generate some forward progress here and not just in terms of what's happening on the field, but also what's happening in that room and and what you're looking at uh, moving, moving ahead. And and we're going to, I have uh, some more comments and then a couple other guys to focus on there. We're going to talk about other uh, players in the spotlight here for November, but um, the running back room, I mean, someone with a ton more uh, benefit of the doubt in his Penn State career right now than Phil Troutline is j Wan Sider. But you look across that room and, and, you know, you try to match up to where the recruiting rankings were when these kids came in and, and these young men came in and just doesn't match up. And, and the offensive line has always been a part of this conversation, but there is just nothing being manufactured really uh, naturally by this room, and that's a big problem. Yeah,
0: I mean, you've seen bad offensive lines in the past and running backs have been able to make something out of it. This group is is not making anything out of nothing, and it's very hard to do, absolutely, but you would think that you get – You'd break something at some point. Uh and I think that's the, the the most frustrating part is you you saw Kane do that as a freshman. That that foot injury last year is 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 a killer for some running backs. And we'll see if it, if that's the same for Noah Kane. Kevon Lee toward the end of last season, you're thinking maybe he could take over the starting role this year. Um, he just hasn't been there. Baylor, of course, or excuse me, Lovett, of course, productive at Baylor. So there's, I think that's the is that you've seen glimpses from these guys before, and now they're going down fairly easy. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's a, a a center of gravity thing, a balance thing, or, or a vision thing, or you're just not seeing what what everybody else sees in the film week after week. Um, but that's probably the most frustrating point. Um, the The law of averages says if you don't have holes to run through, that's fine. But maybe you get out once in a while and you can break one. And Penn State hasn't hasn't even gotten
1: that. You are through two-thirds of your season right now, and your leading rusher is averaging 32.3 yards per game. That's Noah Cain. Next up is Kevon Lee at 29.6 yards per game. Just an astounding kind of clunk when you look at this stat sheet for the running back room. Um, And once again, that's where you say, Sean, hope you're feeling well uh, coming out of that game. We got a lot to throw on your shoulders here down the final stretch.
0: Yeah, you pretty much abandon the, the the running game against Ohio State, and that's probably the right thing to do. So, as we said the other night, uh, you got to use that short passing game as your running game if you're not going to get anything else going. Um, you know, in a traditional sense, um, I think that's really the only way to go about it at this point. And that you know, you you hate to throw in the towel or anything like that, but if, if you just don't have anything to work with, it's it's. I'm sorry to those running backs who have shown talent in the past, but it's just not nobody's getting it done in that in that aspect.
1: Continuing kind of a more bigger picture focus to start off here in November on this episode. A career crossroads moment. This is the the final stretch of this season. The transfer portal is always looming. It feels like it's looming more and more each time you get to November and December. This time of year, this is when names start to pop up. Um, and that's going to happen once again for Penn State. But before we get to some of the younger players maybe making to looking to make a move on the depth chart here uh, with the final month of the regular season, how about guys who we got to figure out where their standing is right now at this level of football and, and with Penn State and where it might move for them here in November and, and beyond because I'm led directly to that running back room. Uh, John Lovett is a one-and-done situation coming out of Baylor, but the two guys that come to mind for me because we have, even since August, early September – talking talking to j1 Jay, Sider, looking at Kaziah Holmes, essentially taking a redshirt here, learning and getting to go at a different pace with the scout team for the most part. Devin Ford just hasn't been used in a way where, where I'm necessarily putting him in this conversation. To me, it's Kevon Lee, it's Noah Kane, because each of those guys at different stages of the season have had chances to take the reins and run with it. Noah Kane, more chances than not, but to this point, just absolutely unable to do that on either end. And we're talking about guys who at different times have looked like the emerging force in this offensive backfield. And and we were talking about 1A, 1B. Could it be one of the better tandems in college football or in the Big Ten? And right now I'm wondering, where does it go from here, starting with this Saturday at Maryland?
0: because of the nature of that room i think you can look at this group and say that that running back room is going to look pretty different come in the spring uh, of course you've got nick singleton and katron allen coming in but i mean this this is a position where guys can contribute early guys can come in and make a dent on that depth chart very early and and older guys if they have a little bit more wear on them and they're just not getting it done can find themselves elsewhere so you you said kane and lee i'm looking at at, at kane and ford and saying what where do they fit into this in the next um, 12 months because that's a that's a tough one I mean we saw it with with Ricky Slade it's like he was a starter and then all of a sudden he was in the portal not too long after that because that's that's kind of the way it goes in that uh, um, in the running back room also in the quarterback room um, we've talked so much about that situation right now um, Clifford obviously has the option to come back next year and as they don't like to have six-year guys they also don't like to have freshman quarterbacks as your uh, as your big uh, favorite to win the starting job um, so that's an exception that I can see being made. Of course, it's going to depend on Clifford. We talked about the draft class is not that great. He's, you know, has, has certainly bounced back this year. I don't know that he's a draftable guy right now, but he's a guy that could come into a camp and and see what happens with uh, for, from from there. But Roberson is, I mean, we didn't see him at practice last week when we were talking about. Are we talking to Mark Brennan about the uh, warmups at at uh, at the horseshoe? I almost called it the big house, uh, the horseshoe. Uh, He was taking, what, third-string reps behind Christian Bayer. So that, to me, says a lot about where he kind of fits in the plans, where his head might be at right now. And you've got those two freshmen coming in in January, as scheduled to come in in January right now. Um, So, I mean, that quarterback room, it it may not seem like a big deal, um, but then we saw the Iowa game. We saw what happened with uh, when you threw Roberson out there, and he he wasn't ready to go. So um, that's a spot where I could see them, Doing the same thing they did this year, um, exploring the portal, seeing what was out there, um, but it's all a lot of that's going to depend on Clifford. Because when you take a look at the situation a year ago, yes, Penn State fans were questioning Clifford um, as a potential returning starter, but still, you look at the the box scores and he had that little check beside his name, so he was a returning starter. It's much easier to sell to somebody, even if they're not going to come in and, and be your starter. It's much easier to sell that the job is open at this point. So I think that's probably a change. I think Franklin kind of alluded to that a week or two ago when talking about the the transfer portal with quarterbacks, it's so different when you don't have a guy that started coming, uh, you know, coming back for that, that final season or two seasons mm-hmm. or what have you.
1: And and that's a guy who particularly, I think, you talk about maybe the professional outlook in that position and how that's kind of viewed in this draft class. November for him, going up against these kind of teams and the eyes that are going to be on him, he goes out and he deals and he looks like, I mean, some of the moments we've seen with him and Yursich And I mean, I tell you, you sit in a room with the guy and you saw this after, after the game. We didn't see it personally, but Mark Brennan shared a video with us coming out of there. A lot to like about Sean Clifford being the guy who has to go speak with the media, put his face out there after a performance like that. You don't find that, and even top-tier quarterbacks across college football 100% of the time. I mean, that's something that's lacking for some of the more impressive NFL draft prospects. So he's got a lot going for him. One thing that he hasn't had going for him of late is his health, and that has clearly impacted him and impacted this program. So you are absolutely right. And if you were to decide, look, a six-year of college football makes sense for me, Clearly, you would think Penn State's the place. Mike Gursich is here. Kane Franklin is here. If all of that leadership remains in place, but also at the same time, if he if he were to explore his options, we said last year he would have been maybe the best quarterback. There is hands down, no doubt about it. He would be the guy in that transfer portal market, barring a major surprise.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think it's either Penn State or, or NFL for him. I totally I agree. Think, for the I record, think this yes. is, this is, I'm glad you got that on the yeah. record. Um, <laughs> this is the interesting one. With, this is probably the first decision where NIL is going to play into it. Um, how much can Sean Clifford earn as Penn State's starting quarterback? I don't know how much he makes now, but his face has popped up in, in more than one NIL deal. Um, so that's going to be a really interesting subplot to this because you haven't, you know, all, every year before this it's been where's your draft position how much can you gain from coming back it's now it's where's your draft position how much can you gain from that versus how much can you gain from coming back plus how much can you make on top of that versus not catching on with the team or uh, practice squad salary or something like that practice squad salary would be awesome i'd love practice squad salary um but that's uh kind of a uh a hail mary if you will as we are talking quarterbacks
1: we're talking about uh focusing on players naturally we get sucked into the orbit of Sean right Clifford, as we often yeah. do yeah. right um, back another, to it another name i wanted to get to here another third year player because this is an important part of your career right now at, at year three tail end stretch brenton strange um it, you know i think when you evaluate this tight end room where it is right now where it is moving forward you want to get a lot of guys in the field and they've been able to do that uh, brenton strange i think to this point um a guy that I you know he tells he you, you know, prides himself as a blocker. he has had moments, but this whole group really has has fallen short in that department in a lot of ways, some key drops. Britain strange to me in the next four games is really gonna bear monitoring. Um, he's gonna get a lot of usage. Think he's going to get his targets. Really curious to see if he can continue to to blossom. Um, Because because as of right now, he's a guy that I really can't quite figure out. And and I do wonder, you know, can you cling to him as one of your top three, four targets going into the 2020 season? Not uh, you know convinced on that yet. And you're going to lose some key guys along the way.
0: I think so. Um, I I I thought about those tight ends and trying to figure out where they fit into the whole thing. I mean, he's your fourth leading receiver right now. Theo Johnson, your fifth. You can find a, a spot for them and you know Penn State this staff has had guys go through stretches like Brenton Strange has gone for, gone yeah. through especially at that pos- position I know Mike Jasicki's on your mind um but yeah I think he's got an opportunity and they they seem to be comfortable going to him I mean he's I don't have the numbers in front of me but red zone targets he's got to be right up there with uh, right behind Jahan Dotson so they 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 like going to him near the goal line they think he p- can play they think he's a really good athlete um maybe it's a sense that you just need a um a reset and i don't think that comes with a transfer for brenton strange
1: i'll just say this uh, we have been spoiled watching pat Fryermuth the last few years and, and before him mike is but particularly pat Fryermuth, just su- such a buttoned up tight end since he really got to campus and, and the yeah, campus and, and, yeah, and he did it again this weekend too yeah and he did it again and now he's doing it at the next level and you know that's the standard that is in the tight end room so it isn't so much about what you're seeing from brenton strange as what you're not seeing from brenton strange because you're used to getting that entire package i will say though Looking through his the season, the body of work here, Brent Strange has gone over 24 passing, uh, 24 receiving yards once in the season. He had 71 yards against Auburn. Um, just haven't seen him being as much of a bulk target, I guess, that I maybe expected. The tight ends in, in total, I think you look at that that that. As you get past the first three receivers, there's a gap there in the stat sheet, but I just think that stands out a little bit. Um, You know, only one game here uh, where he goes 25-plus yards, and and that was back in week three.
0: The question – that I kept going back to and, and just told myself that it would take care of itself because the talent was there. When Mike Yurisich was hired, it really wasn't, it's not a tight ends offense. It's not a running backs offense. So what do you do with those positions where you seemingly have good guys? Now you're not getting the production that you thought you might uh, get out of them. So I think that's probably a really interesting subplot to sit back and look and see, see where those guys are. Um, And speaking of the guys that it's good for the receivers, that room's going to look different next year as well because obviously you're losing Jahan Dotson. Uh, Parker Washington's going to step up and try and be your one with Keandre Lambert Smith. And again, you feel good about where that stands. But after that, you got to go way down on the list. Cam Sullivan Brown's got four catches for you. Marquise Wilson's got three catches for you. Winston Eubanks has one catch. And that's pretty much it, uh, beside uh, Harrison Wallace, who's played in two games and has not caught a pass. So That group Grand Canyon
1: in the middle of that in the middle of that stat sheet. Wow.
0: And you don't think that, you know, you you love the three guys that you have. And that's kind of the scouting report coming into the season. You love the three guys that you have. You don't know what's after them when you have to move beyond that. Then you have then you have questions and they're going to have to move beyond that after (laughs) after Jahan Dotson's career is over. No doubt about it. So Wallace, uh, Liam Clifford's in there. Just that group of uh, they had the five receivers. Malik Mega has worked in there in the last couple of weeks coming off of the injury that he suffered in camp seems to have been coming around and maybe supplanting Marquise Wilson as that fifth receiver kind of right there with Cam Sullivan Brown as a four or five guy. Um, but that's, that group's going to look really different. You haven't seen a sniff of Norval Black or Jaden Dotton. Um, so you wonder where they fit in the mix. And, and this is a spot where I see them going you know, fairly heavily after a, a, a portal target um, To figure out if you can get an, another guy that compliments uh, Washington and Lambert Smith, because I mean, this is a quick fix error right here. And if you can figure out a guy that can come in and catch uh, 25, 30 balls, uh, then you got to, you got to do what you can. And that's at that position.
1: And that's not a spot that they have, have been able to address with the success to this point in bringing in a college veteran at wide receiver. And I'll tell you what, um, this should be a, a pretty, you know, pretty uh, enviable spot to to want to end up at as a receiver when you look at the way this offense was, was working through the there, past. There's targets game. out there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not we're not looking at the, the stat sheet from three years ago when. It was a barren wasteland. You're wondering how are they going to convince a transfer to come in or a top-flight receiver. Right now, you're seeing it. There's receivers waiting at the door right now, top recruit receivers who, who want to come play for this offense, and I think you're right about the transfer portal. But there is a lot. There, there's not that waiting in the wings feeling with this wide receiver group right now. There's just that intrigue, and it's the same as it was in August. You reeled off the same names, Trey Wallace, Liam Clifford, uh, Malik Mega. There's, you can go through the list and say what you like about these guys, but then you say, "But well, we haven't seen it on Saturdays. And that's kind of the thing. That I think it's a bit surprising through eight games. You thought maybe there would be some progression development after the, the top three guys, but says a lot about how Stel- Stubblefield, Yursich feel about their starters. It certainly says a lot about the ability to get two, three tight ends sometimes on the field as well. Um, so it hasn't really spelled for a lot of action uh, for, for anyone outside of the starting lineup at receiver.
0: Yeah, and when you look at uh, this roster as a whole, I know we're going to switch from uh, offense to defense. But Marquise Wilson, where does he fit into the picture? Yeah, um, you know he's he's all of a sudden pretty far along into his career, um, and you haven't really gotten the most out of him. I would say he's what a fifth cornerback right now, a fifth wide receiver. Um, And you think that based on what you've seen from him or saw from him as a freshman, you think he'd be higher than that. So it'd be really interesting to see where he pops up, especially when you got when you look on the other side and you've got uh, Tariq Castro fields gone after this year, potentially Joey Porter as well. So does he work his way back into the mix on defense? I know the last couple of weeks that we've been at practice on Wednesdays, he's been on the defensive side of the ball and hasn't been involved um, on the offensive game plan at all.
1: I think he's too talented to, you know, you got to figure out a spot and go with it with him. I I just think what we saw during the final stretch of that freshman year, unless that was an outlier for who this young man is at this level of football, he flashed in a big way. I mean, there were some key moments. Um, and I just think, he, you know, you hear about the confidence with this guy. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. It takes a lot to put yourself in a position to play on both sides of the ball, but can you play a lot on both sides of the ball? That's kind of the next step there. And I think maybe you're better off where can Mar- Marquise Wilson maximize his skill set, and where does this roster need him? Maybe you don't have that answer until you get through some of that transfer portal stuff in January. Uh, but, but I agree. He's a guy that um, I, I feel like we, we would have seen him uh, as part of the plan a little bit more to this point uh, through eight matchups and, and kind of, you know, reg- not regressing, but, uh, on the outside looking in and on both sides of the ball. One other name on on offense, because I think he's a component not just for right now, but but moving ahead on what the offensive line could look like, what Phil Trout line what they might want to do and reconfiguring some parts is Caden Wallace. Um, is he sticking a tackle for you? Are you going to explore guard for him again? Uh, I think, you know, very high on this guy. If you listen to the podcast, you know that coming out of high school. Um, Rasheed Walker is going to be moving on after this year. You, you'd fully expect that you're going to be seeing some change in personnel. And the inside, you're bringing in another Harvard transfer. This time it's a perimeter player in Spencer Rolland. I'm very curious on where they think they can get the most out of Caden Wallace. Um, And, you know, most importantly, what can be the best fit for this offensive line to find the rhythm it really requires to take this team to another level. And I think their decision on him is going to reflect a lot on, on what they think about some of the other players in that personnel unit.
0: Well, that's, that's your tackle recruiting in a nutshell right there. Just how, how you've kind of, uh, as we as we often say, it's easier to move tackles into guard than move guards out to tackle. We think that Wallace would be an, an absolutely incredible guard, and that's you know where he was rated out of twenty four seven Sports as a top one hundred All American kid. Um, and you got him playing tackle, and you know he's he's a step slow out there, and you know it's it, there's a lot of speed coming off that edge, and um, he, he's held up at times, but other times he's he's been beaten. So that's uh, that's going to be a good question because Spencer Rolland, who you know we label as a tackle he could be a guard too i mean that's not completely you know he's not your six, seven, two, ninety-five guy that's going to you know sit out and set the edge for you um i i i just i still struggle to see where these guys go um does tank wall play a factor i think Fashanu will play a factor next year but you're absolutely right uh with wallace with even with bryce efner who we see as kind of an afterthought of the sixth guy right now um what does he bring to the table for you does he is he a potential tackle for you i I don't know, man. There's as has been the case with this offensive line this year. I don't know that there's a ton of answers for that. So um, do do you continue looking at the portal for another tackle? You know, you always want to load up on tackles and they've done that in the last uh, cycle and a half. Um, But at the same time, it's going to take some time for those guys to get ready. How do you bridge the gap between now and then?
1: Um, defensively, uh, you know, in the trenches, you, you want to really see, uh, you know, this kind of, this is, this is going away from figuring out what to do with the veteran and more of looking for continued progress. Cause I, Izzard and Devon Ailes, those two guys, um, I, I feel like Ailes, especially because it, it dates back to before the PJ Mustaver injury, really showing a lot in year three and his progression, stepping up into that two deep role. And they needed somebody to do that in the worst way with Izard, It's been more of, hey, this is a necessity. we got to sound the alarm here. P.J.'s out for the year. Now you're playing a ton of reps. They're going against – I mean, you watched the Michigan-Michigan State game, I assume. I know many of our listeners did. You watched the way that Michigan State can run the football. You watched the way that when Michigan is rolling, they can run the football – those teams are up on your schedule real soon. We saw what Illinois did when they wanted to, to concentrate on pounding the football up the middle. So I, I think if you can see these guys continue to answer the bell, it's going to make you feel a bit better about your defensive tackle depth, your interior depth. Uh, but that goes across the board. You got to factor in a guy like Zariah Fisher, who James Franklin also mentioned late last week is someone, you know, they're counting on to, to maybe continue his growth here, uh, getting some expanded looks as the season moves forward. Uh, but you've been pretty healthy with those top three defensive ends. Um, so to this point you've, you've been able to hang your hat on them but not so much on the inside and i would say Izard and ellie's both bear watching here in the next four game sample size
0: absolutely and, and it's going to pay off for them in the long run i have no doubt about that uh because i Izard did not play well against illinois but he seemed to take some steps forward against ohio state which is kind of a flip-flop of hmm. what you'd expect but here here you are um i just did a quick count i have the um the travel roster out here, five defensive tackles made the trip. I might be missing one of them, but uh, that's when you think about all the scholarships, uh, sorry, six defensive tackles. I did miss Izzard down there at 99, uh, six scholarship tackles making the trip, and you've got, what, 10 or 11 on scholarship right now? Yeah. So taking half of your tackles, and I know P.J. Mustapha is hurt, and only playing four of them, uh, that's, that's something that will probably – make its way to sorting itself out in the off season. Um of course, you know, you, you've got guys uh, Aeneas Hawkins has never really factored in, Joseph Darko has never really factored in, not that he was expected to uh this season anyway, but you've got to come around and and uh, as we said with the offensive line bridge that gap until your younger players can get there. That's why having a guy like Mustafer come back next year if he decides to take them up on that option, which they really really want him to take them up on that option, um is is such a big deal. Um and then, you know, you're, you're hoping Hakeem Beeman is back. Again, we keep seeing Beeman at practice, which to me says a lot about his intentions about coming back to Penn State because he could have easily packed it up and gone. Um, so I think that that's an interesting subplot to next year. So they can be deep. They can be deep and talented at defensive tackle next year. And they can also be, be in trouble. I, there's, yeah. there, there's not much in between.
1: Well, what you hope is it was it was this year was a lot of names and a lot of unknowns. You'd like to say, hey, there's still quite a few names, but you know a lot more about this group. And that's what you feel like you can get. I mean, if you can get Mustafa back on board, and I think it makes a lot of sense for both parties, that would be a huge step in the right direction, because you don't have to necessarily count on these guys for all those reps again in 2022 but they've got him in their back pocket and maybe you can feel more comfortable playing five, maybe even six defensive tackles in a big game because clearly they have not felt comfortable being able to do that through the first couple months of this season. One other name to know because he's popped up in some conversations lately, Jordan Vanderberg. We, we did get a, a bit of a look at him in practice, some nice reps on the field last week. Keep an eye on him. Just, just keep an eye on him. What number does he wear for everybody? 52 uh, out of South Africa um, came out of what was the iron Iowa Western with that midsummer visit ended up on the roster like a week later um compelling prospect there on, on the defensive front a the guy they kind of sneaked onto this roster it felt like at the last minute as a scholarship addition and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of, of eligibility ahead of him th- here I think he's got 3 years at least um if I'm not mistaken ahead of him here and maybe this is applying a redshirt year so might be even 4
0: yeah, I mean, you've got uh, you've got a lot to work with. With that COVID year, it throws everything into yeah. I'm, not, uh, I'm crazy even thing. struggling
1: now with that. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> defensive end. Just the the one thing that jumps out to me is how much that not only Penn State would benefit from Jesse Lucchetta coming back is that I think Jesse Lucchetta could really benefit from coming back, similar to what Brisker and Dotson were able to do. I I don't know where he fits into the draft right now. It's very interesting because he's been. Really productive. I, I mean, it, to me, he's the biggest surprise and the best surprise on that defense, which is, you know, it's, it's a good spot to be in. Um, but he hasn't been a full-time starter. Um, you know, I thought he was all over the field against Ohio State the other night, did a, did a really good job. So he's got some buzz and I think he is turning 23 this year. So you've got that going forward. Of course, he's close with Micah. Um, so there's, there's a lot, I think, pulling him that way. But I think Jesse could really benefit from coming back. And I'm talking about moving up, you know, like a third or fourth round guy. Yes. I know that sounds kind of crazy right now, but to, to really improve his stock and at the same time solidifying, I mean, you look at the guys that can potentially leave this year on that defensive line, um, you know, or will leave this year on that defensive line. Cause I think nobody expects Evacati to be on there next year, but with no. Mustafer with Lucchetta, no. I mean, that can go a long way in solidifying that unit next year. And again, it's uh, it that's going to be people walking on some eggshells in December and January until those guys make their intentions uh,
1: felt. Speaking of guys who heard. are yes, they around? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, speaking of guys who we're not sure, are they around? Are they not around come January, February next year? Brandon Smith, uh, a, a semifinalist for the Buckus Award, going to the nation's top college football linebacker. By the way, he was a national finalist uh, for the Buckus Award at the high school level during his senior year back in 2018. But but Smith, i I don't know if he's flashed that five star stuff to everybody. I don't know if people have watched Brandon Smith and and said, oh, this is the Brandon Smith I totally expected, but you watch his progression from year to year. I think he's answered a lot of what you're looking for. I think uh, Brent Pry found the right spot for him this season. Um, to me, um, I guess I, I'm even even me, I fall into this crap. I, I don't watch him and see. Um, we saw Micah Parsons, so this isn't really fair. But I don't see him going and dominating defensively. But yet he's popping up on some first-round draft list, and maybe Brandon Smith is down to his last four or five games in a Penn State uniform. I know that's maybe not a conversation Penn State staff wants to have right now, or, but that's kind of something that keeps the pop up in the back of my mind. Uh, his career kind of could be over and done with. Uh, it's fast.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very good question because you know you look at that and you think. Um, you know, he's, he's not ready to go. I know a lot of people lo- looked at OA last year too. Um, but it, it's, it's really interesting when you talk to football people about Brandon Smith, they absolutely love Brandon Smith. You talk to Penn State fans about Brandon Smith and you think, yes, well, exactly. he, he's still got, still got plenty of work to do. Um, and he does, you know, let's yeah. be honest, but, but still a uh, really good football player. Uh, as, as mentioned, I mean, Brooks has, has kind of outproduced him this year and that's a uh, Mike is probably going to outproduce a, an outside linebacker anyway, but, you think about those, those splash plays on defense and the, you know, the things that you can turn turn a game on and you're still looking for Brandon Smith to come around. I mean, that's kind of the the thing that we say about Brandon Smith is he's so uh, he flashes these, these top level plays, and then he's just kind of inconsistent. And maybe that's something that, that NFL coaches think that they can work out, but we'll see. I think he, I think, I think he does need more reps um, personally, but I can see the appeal. I mean, you're being mocked mm-hmm. as a late first-round guy because of that size, because you can move like, like you can move, and um, that's certainly going to be tough to ignore for him.
1: 52 tackles, six for loss, and two sacks on the season for Brandon Smith, who, by the way, if you're paying attention to his Twitter handle, he's not, he's not much of a vocal guy on Twitter. He's not tweeting a lot. He's got some NIL stuff going on there. So even though he's kind of that soft-spoken young man and maybe he's not uh, lighting the world on fire on the field, yeah, uh, he, he's right now, he's he's in that crosshair already. I mean, he, he's came in as a five-star. He has that attention. He got some NIL deals in his back pocket, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's the next guy who goes out uh, and, and ends up being a much higher draft pick than Penn State fans anticipate when he declares. But that's getting ahead of ourselves, and, and, and we'll see what the decision that he comes to down the stretch. I think Curtis Jacobs is really becoming the story of linebacker right now. You look at the way he showed up uh, uh, in the spotlight on Friday night, and to me, it's starting to remind me Uh, of just a guy who has found the stepping stones and he's following them. And it feels like week by week he's moving further along. And I think you're measuring him in year two versus Brandon Smith in year two, two guys that came in, considered five-star talents in that position. I would certainly say that Curtis Jacobs right now is ahead of that curve.
0: Yeah, you've got an argument there. He's he's made those plays that we've talked about, he had the interception against Illinois. Um, you know, he has been there in the backfield making plays and things like that. And I think he he is able to play a little bit looser because of his position, but I think he's handled it. certainly, you know, Brandon Smith was at that position last year and you didn't get that kind of those kind of flashes from him um on a con- more uh, on a consistent basis like you with Jacobs. Really impressed with the job that Jacobs has done in the last at least in the last month of the season.
1: Yeah, and then I, I just think when, when you're looking at at guys who here and gone in a flash, Joey Porter showed me a lot again in Columbus. Um, I know that the penalties were thrown a bit; he was involved in that, but I just like the way he goes toe to toe with 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 top talent at wide receiver. The way he carries himself before the before the snap, after the snap, he's a freshman doesn't feel like it at all. Enjoy watching Joey Porter play down the stretch. Uh, he's playing really good football, and I think overall you're getting really standout play from this defensive backfield. The one guy I'm looking at here want to see continue more and more of him. Cause I think he can t- continue to play a bigger role next year is Johnny Dixon. Um, every time he's on the field for the most part, I-, I just like what he's doing. Um, And and I think you look at the transfer, they've had a lot of hits. He maybe is more of an underrated hit that they had in that last transfer cycle. Cause he's not a starter right now. He's playing a lot of good football for them. So, so he's kind of the guy I'm pointing to Um when you're saying, Hey, keep an eye on a, on a guy making a move in the late season and then keep Nellis at safety. What can he establish for himself going into this off season? There's going to be some turnover at safety. We're not quite sure how much at this stage, uh, but he's got to use this as a launch pad. Cause he's going into year number four next year. Um, and year number two with his safeties coach, Anthony Poindexter.
0: Yeah. He made some, uh, made some appearances on defense this weekend. Um, I, I agree with that. I'm very curious to track the progress of AJ Litton, just uh, kind of figuring out what, cause you just forget about him. Like mm-hmm. you go down the list and he's a gunner right now for you, but can he learn that defense and get in there at corner and give you guy give you a guy that can rotate through as a top four guy um because you know if you get Porter back that's wonderful um but Kalen King Johnny Dixon are going to be there and then you have questions about what's there Zaki Wheatley is a guy that's that seems to have started his career a little bit ahead of where we thought he would be um is he a corner next year a safety next year we will see um but uh, that corner spot is is a spot depending on Porter where you've got questions about what you can uh, what you can throw on the field next year. I think it's going to be talented, but I don't know that it's it's going to be as uh, as experienced as you would probably like.
1: It was a November preview episode, but also a bit of an off-season preview episode. People are probably saying, whoa, 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 1-0, 1-0. We were way out in front of 1-0 today, Sean, but that's okay. We're allowed to do that here on the show. Um, Anything else stand out to you? I feel like we went through a lot more of this roster than we anticipated, but kind of goes to show how many questions can still be facing a program, even through eight games. And we spend, what, nine months every year talking about what a team might look like on the field. So, Got to savor this last month of actually seeing these guys in action because that's going to carry a lot of weight in the way we evaluate this roster heading into what should be another eventful uh, winter for this program.
0: Yeah, we've got a lot of questions. I believe we have one question in our five-star mailbag, which know. kind of spurred this discussion. Yes. So uh, here it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this it led us kind of to rewrite the, this episode a little bit. Who is your pick as Penn State's November riser to build momentum for next year? Sean, I'll let you lead off on this one
0: going to go with Theo Johnson. Liked what we saw. Out of him. <laughs> uh, did it, did I take yours? Uh, sorry about that. We, we don't discuss these before we actually answer them. This time we um, did. <laughs> so uh, Theo I uh, thought looked good against Ohio State. We mentioned Strange kind of being in that little um, kind of in that, in that in-between spot right now, I think Theo's, uh, doing the right things. They're trying to get them him the ball more and, uh, can give yourself a weapon, not only as a tight end, but out of the slot, H back, move him around, do whatever. I think he can really build on November and he's not a guy that's going to leave. You know, he's, he's a true sophomore. Um, so it can build on November and, and get him into the next year
1: yeah that, that he he was my pick and and I think he was my breakout pick on offense going into the year. um hasn't seen the volume of targets I, I merely anticipated, but Great pick from you. I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to go Keandre Lambert Smith. You saw some of that against Ohio State. Some key catches as Sean Clifford was was racking up the third down conversions. Uh, he played a role in that process. And let's face it, this is this is the last uh, stretch for John Dotson. So enjoy it, folks. It's been a fun one, uh, but this is it. Uh, and and Keandre Lambert Smith right now, 25 catches, 383 yards. 15 catch average or 15 yard average stands out to me, Sean, because last year, one thing that we didn't really see in his limited sample size playing as a true freshman and starting for I think the second half of the season was him kind of get some space, get out and run the ball. I think he was maybe under 10 yards per reception on the year. This year has been a different story. He's been kind of that guy that, that's been catching the, the 22 yards uh, route, route, uh, seam route down the seam, or, or you're seeing him also uh, go beat a guy downfield, um, showing off that quickness. I think maybe get him in space more. I think is he the guy who, who you look to get in the space more, like you saw Jahan Dotson uh, week by week? Maybe he's that guy next year for them. Uh, but I think he has a chance to maybe double the numbers he gets from this year, and I think he's already made a, a major stride here in year number two.
0: He's grown up a bunch in the last yeah. year, has, has done a phenomenal job, I think. And, you know, all the spotlights on Jahan and, and Parker, but at the same time, he's averaging three to four catches a game, 15 yards a catch, just doing whatever you want him to do as a third receiver. And I think that that's probably something that, you know, when you look at turning the corner and building on the next year, I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is a, is a great pick by you. Um, and, and, you know, he'll continue to get targets. He'll continue, I think, to, to make the most of those targets. And he's done a good job, as I said, growing up and – not letting the drops get to him, not letting, you know, having the short-term memory and getting there because that was his issue as a freshman, you know, he drops one pass and he he might not be good for the rest of the game. Now he even showed that. And I think it was the uh, Wisconsin game came out and, and and did that. So um very impressed with Keandre Lambert Smith could help Penn state out in Virginia. Uh, Penn state's got uh, is watching, for a possible decision on Tuesday from Joshua Miller, offensive lineman from Life Christian Academy, um, has been on campus a few times most recently for that Illinois game. A um, couple of uh, Penn State predictions on the crystal ball went in this week, and uh, mine's going to go in as well. Um, you're going see to what, see what happens with that. We'll be back Wednesday if, uh, if something does happen positive for the Nittany Lions. But Josh Miller, um, Penn State's uh, uh, class of 2023, has potential to keep trucking along.
1: Yeah, big opportunity for Penn State, and and the the midseason losses have not shaken things up for them. Uh, to this point, negatively in recruiting, um, been able to keep it together and, and nearing the finish line for one class and, and really just starting to take off for the other. Um, Sean, that's going to do it for us on this episode, talking a lot about what is ahead of this team, starting with the Maryland matchup on Saturday. We'll get into that. We'll get into the Terps 5-3. and three. A lot more to it than that, but of course, this is a team that came to Beaver Stadium, really had their way with the Nittany Lions last year. Plenty ahead for this Penn State program in November, plenty ahead for us on the podcast. Thanks to producer Lance Glynn and our co-host Sean Fitz. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon. Make sure you follow our channel on YouTube at Lions 24-7. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.